Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, I want to welcome all of our campuses with us today. And if you're joining us on any of our campuses for the first time, uh, you're coming in toward the end of a conversation that we've been having for the past few weeks. This is, as you've heard on your campus announced already, this is week four of the conversation, and that's okay. But we just want you to know that because today what we're doing is we're talking about beginning some specific ways this week and next week about how to apply practically what we've been learning together for the past three weeks. But to kind of get us all on the same page, I just want to kind of catch us up and uh, give you a quick recap. And by the way, if you haven't been here, uh, you can go online, you can watch online, you can download on the RCC app and, uh, and, and watch or listen there as well. But just to give you a quick recap, here's how we want um, just to kind of start thinking this morning. Basically, every religion throughout the history of the world, if you really stop and think about it, has been built on some version of what we've been calling the temple model. Now, the temple model has four unique characteristics or component to it. First of all, there are sacred places. If you're part of a temple model, you go to sacred places or certain places are more sacred to you. And those sacred places, they contain sacred texts. And those sacred texts, they are controlled by sacred men. And these sacred men are kind of like the gatekeepers of heaven and hell for their sincere or their scared or sometimes superstitious followers because these sacred men, they hold all the power because they get to interpret the sacred text. They really get to define what is right or wrong or most importantly who gets access to God or what level of access to God these sincere or superstitious or scared followers get. But what we've discovered over the last few weeks is this, that the arrival of Jesus, don't miss this, the arrival of Jesus marked the end of God's participation in the temple model and the beginning of something brand new. Listen, Jesus didn't show up on this earth to introduce temple model version 2.0. He completely dismantled the temple model with his action on the cross and through his resurrection. And he created through that a new way for man to relate with God. And this brand new thing, we've been calling it the Jesus model. In fact, in the Jesus model, he introduced four characteristics as well. He introduced something called a new covenant, or another way we've been talking about that is a new arrangement that we can have through God. In other words, nobody has to go through a sacred man or go to a sacred place to have access with God. So Jesus has said through his work on the cross that everyone has equal access to God and can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and it is so personal that you can call him Father. Now, with this new relationship, or this new covenant, this new arrangement, he says, here's something else. There, there's a new command. He says, a new command I give you. And, it, and it's amazing to me that Christ followers, you know, they, they give a lot of credence to the commands of the Old Testament. But Jesus comes along as God in human flesh, and he goes, okay, here's the new command. This is the new standard. This was the old old temple model standard, I'm giving you a new command. I'm giving you a standard that is so much higher than you can ever imagine. And we talked about this for the last few weeks, and it's messed some of you up in a really, really good way, because it's stretching you. So Jesus taught, he said, here's the new command. He says, it's so important for you to love one another the way that I have loved you. He's going, you know, the, the reality is 
It's no longer about what I'm required to do to keep things right between me and God. Because that was kind of like the whole temple model mindset. He says, because once you've chosen to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything through Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, and forgiveness, His grace, you are in a right relationship with God. He says, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It's not just vertical anymore, because that's what the temple model is all about. He says, it's as much horizontal as it ever was vertical. Because see, the Jesus model, it isn't centered on you. Instead, as we learned last week, it's centered on the you beside you. Think about it this way. The temple model is very self-centered. In other words... Here's the mindset or the thinking of people who live with a temple model. Their mindset is, what must I believe or do to make or keep things right between me and God? That, that's temple model thinking. In, in temple model thinking, my primary thought is this. Is everything okay between me and God? So i got to do all these things to stay in God's favor. It's why so many people who are even church people, it's why they pray because if I pray, then God will do good things for me or I'll have God's favor. It's why I give or it's why I serve because if I give and if I serve, then God may bless me more or God may give me more. It's why I attend church on Sunday so that my attendance can be noted in church, it's why I read my Bible so other people can see me, so it can be noted in front of God that I'm doing good things, or so, so that when I ask God for a future favor, he will show up for me. See, in the temple model, God is kind of like Siri. God, you just stay quiet and notice the good things I do, ignore the bad things I do, and you just stay quiet unless I need something. But when I need you to show up, and I say, Siri, you better show up, fix my problems, or give me an answer. You know, that's how we do it. God, show up, and then God's supposed to show up. Because here's the thing. In the temple model, I do all these good things to help obligate God to show up for me. Because God, you're obligated now to me because I prayed, I went to church, I served, I gave, I obeyed a, a, a few of these rules that you gave. Understand this. In the temple model, the thinking is this. My action obligates God to action. That, that's the temple model thinking. God, I did all these things. Now you got to do all these things for me. See, it's why people with temple model thinking always gravitate toward their standing with God being based on some rules or some rituals. So I kept these rules. I, I kept these rituals. See, they want to know everything they have to do. They want to know everything they have to believe to keep God on their side. But that's not the Jesus model. In the Jesus model, we know God is on our side. He, he died for us. He forgave us our sin. I mean, what else does he have to do to show you that he's on his side? He's so much on your side that he says, hey, you can have such a personal relationship with me that you can call me father. See, in the Jesus model, we're no longer consumers. See, the Jesus model, it is centered on the you beside you. And it's based on this whole new idea of loving the you beside you like Jesus loved you. And that's such a higher standard than just saying, hey, don't kill somebody, don't steal from somebody, don't lie to somebody, don't cheat on somebody with their, you know, somebody's wife, you know, that kind of thing. No, don't, you know, don't do that. No, he's like, loving the you beside you, man, that is such a higher standard. And out of this, this new arrangement that God made with man, 
that this new command that created a new ethic for our behavior of how we treat each other, Jesus launched this new movement or gathering of people, this thing that we call the church. And you got to understand this movement, this gathering of people, it's not an institution, it's not a religion. He launched a movement. And in the Jesus model, love compels me to action. See, in the temple model, it's my action obligates God to act toward me. That's why the temple model is so self-centered. But in the Jesus model, love, the love of God for me, it compels me to action. And you know what's interesting? In the early days of the church, when the church started, this new movement started, man, they lived out this new covenant. They, They lived out, or they lived under this new covenant, and they lived out the new command with this new ethic of behavior toward each other. And they loved each other the way that Jesus loved us. And it was so contagious, it was so irresistible that the message spread throughout the world and hundreds of thousands of people, they began to follow Jesus. And as we talked about for the last couple of weeks, it didn't take long for Christians to begin to mix this old temple model back in with this new thing called, this thing called the church. And the temple model, it just kept creeping back in more and more into this thing that Jesus introduced and the church became resistible. And it became resistible because wherever the temple model goes, don't miss this, it creates confusion. Don't miss this. The temple model creates confusion specifically around two things. The first one is this, who Jesus is. See, the temple model, it's about Jesus Christ and his grace plus something else. And the Apostle Paul, as we saw last week, he said, no, 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 no. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing that puts you in a right relationship with God. So the temple model creates confusion around who Jesus is and and what he cares about. And, And what ends up happening is people start resisting Jesus or a Jesus, a form of Jesus that doesn't even exist. Which is why if you're like skeptical about church and you finally showed up to church or you grew up in church and then you walked away from church, man, we're so glad you're here. Because chances are that you walked away unnecessarily from God or the church because the Jesus that you were presented might not actually be who Jesus really was because whoever told you about Jesus was mixing Jesus with all this old temple model stuff. And you think Jesus is angry at you or that you can lose the favor of Jesus toward you. See, the temple model, it creates so much confusion about who Jesus is and who God is. Because the temple model makes you think that God is angry at you and that he wants to punish you. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. God's not angry at you and God doesn't want to punish you. God took all his anger and his punishment out on me. I did that for you. God just wants a relationship with you. So the temple model creates confusion about who Jesus is. But the temple model also creates confusion about what the church is. We've been so confused about that in our culture because there's been so much temple model mixed in with this Jesus model. See, according to the New Testament, don't miss this. According to the New Testament, the church is a body. Specifically, it's not just anybody. The church, get this, the church, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, all of us who are called followers of Jesus Christ, together we make up the body of Christ in this world. Now that's just very unique when you think about it. So the church 
It's not an organization. It's not an institution. I mean, Jesus didn't die for an institution or an organization. He died for people. And he started a movement of people who were called to love one another as he loved us and point people to experiencing that kind of love through him. But here's the thing. When you let this temple model kind of creep in, what happens is people get devalued and tradition gets over valued. Rules and rituals become more important than people. And you know what? That was never more evident than a couple years after Jesus' resurrection when there was like this powerful leader in the Jewish religion of Judaism. I was going about and he was hunting down Christ followers and he, he was killing them and he was putting them in prison. And, and we talked about him a little bit last week because Paul, even before he became a follower of Jesus Christ, he understood that you could not mix that the old temple model and the new Jesus model, it could not mix, it could not coexist. They were a threat to each other. And so Saul, who later became known as Apostle Paul, he's traveling around and he's torturing these Christians and he's imprisoning them. But then Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9, that one day he's traveling along with this group of people, some companions, and he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus and and he's going there really to arrest more Christians, to imprison more, prison, to, to imprison more Christians and, and to try to stamp out this thing called the Jesus model. And there's this bright light from heaven that shines down. And then I want you to notice what happens. Here's what happens to the Apostle Paul. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I'm sure that Saul's sitting there going, what are you talking about? I'm not persecuting a person. I'm persecuting a group of people. I'm persecuting those people that claim that Jesus died and that he rose again. That's who I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to protect our temple model, our religion, our rituals, our rules. And I'm doing this in the name of God, and I'm doing this for God, and I'm doing this with God's blessing. And so when Saul hears his voice coming from, or hears this voice and he's calling out his name, I'm sure he asks the question that every one of us would ask if that happened to us. He goes, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I don't know who you are. You're more powerful than me because you can knock me off a donkey. You can blind me. He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, don't you miss what's happening here. Have you ever been going along in your life and all of a sudden something just takes like a 180, it's like, whew, and you didn't see it coming and you go, oh. I'm sure you're more spiritual than me, but you probably didn't express it that way, but it's like, whew, that's serious. Saul's having one of those moments. He's sitting there on the ground going, I never saw this coming. I mean, he's like, he's thinking, Jesus? I, I'm not persecuting Jesus. I mean, like, hey, we killed Jesus. All I'm doing, I, I'm persecuting these dumb people who think they can follow Jesus. That's what I'm doing. And in this moment, he's beginning to realize, man, I was so wrong. Because in this moment, he's beginning to realize, Jesus isn't dead. 
And when Jesus started something brand new, one of the implications was that wasn't was this that the church is no longer a temple, it's no longer a sacred place that is controlled by sacred men. All of a sudden, you begin to realize, wow, the church is people. And the church is the body of Christ. So to mess with his church is to mess with his body. Here's what Saul is beginning to discover. And here's what you're going to find is taught throughout the New Testament. It's this teaching that Jesus left the earth physically, but his presence remained. And his presence remained in the form of his Holy Spirit, who works in and through this new movement of people called the church. So Jesus physically in a singular person is not here anymore. So people don't just have the opportunity to walk up and have a conversation with him and kind of discover what he was like the way they used to. But the reality is, Paul is discovering what he teaches later, we're going to see a little bit later in this talk, is that that doesn't mean they couldn't discover who Jesus was. And it doesn't mean they couldn't discover what Jesus was like. Because when a person who calls himself a Christ follower was with is part of, together with other Christ followers, it's called this thing is called the church. And, and when a person comes in contact with this thing called the church, then the Apostle Paul is discovering, oh, people could experience what it would be like if they could be with Jesus. Because see, what he's, what he's discovering and what we're going to see in just a moment from his writing in just a moment is that people who know nothing about Jesus when they encounter those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, together we make up the body of Christ and we should be living and loving like Jesus. So much so that we represent Jesus to the world in which we live. So much so that people could experience what it would really be like to be with Jesus. It's why the church is referred to as the body of Christ because people should be able to experience how much Jesus loves them when they are with us. They should experience that Jesus is for them when they are with us. They should be accepted like Jesus would accept them when they are with us. They should be served like Jesus would serve them when they are with us. They should experience the generosity of Jesus when they are with us. See, Jesus started this movement that we call the church to be a tangible, physical representation of himself on this earth. And the temple model does a very, very poor job of that because it's all about rules and regulations. What must I do to be right with God? See, Jesus left us as his body to represent him in a very physical, tangible way, to express his love, his grace, his mercy, and his kindness and his truth to those that are around us. Now, here's what's interesting. About 20 years after Saul had this encounter on the road to Damascus, he began following Jesus on that, in that moment. And about 20 years later, he's known as, and we told you this last week, he's known as the Apostle Paul. And, and he's traveling around, he's planning and starting all these churches. And, and now we find him about 20 years later in, in, in a town called Ephesus or a city called Ephesus. And he's started a church there. And, and he hears some things going on back in Corinth. And that was another place that he had started a church. And so he writes this letter to them. And in this letter, he teaches them this idea, this astounding idea 
that all of us together who are called followers of Jesus Christ, we absolutely are the body of Christ in this world. And when people experience us, they should experience Jesus. And he tells them how important it is for them to understand that teaching in order to participate in this new movement that Jesus began. In fact, here's how he says it. He goes, listen, now you, referring to everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you individually are the body, all of us together are the body of Christ. So when people show up and experience us together, they should experience what Jesus is like. And if that doesn't raise the standard for you as a Christ follower, I don't know what will. He says like, you, you're the body of Christ. If people don't understand Jesus, that's not Jesus' fault. That's our responsibility, and that's our opportunity. He says, so now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is an important and necessary part of it. He says, so you who are called Christ followers, you are the body of Christ, and together we get the opportunity to represent Jesus to the world. You're who God chose to be the body of Christ in this world. And then the Apostle Paul goes on and he continues to write in there. He says, listen, every one of you, you're important. And each of you are a necessary part of the body of Christ. And you're important and necessary because you help the body of Christ experience God's love and God's grace in this world. Now, when the Apostle Paul says you're important and necessary, can I, let me just help you understand what he means. He's like, if you don't do your part in the body, then people aren't really going to see Jesus as they could and as they should. And that's a really big deal when you think about it that way, isn't it? I mean, like, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are so important to the movement of the body of Christ because if you don't do your part, if you don't live and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus, people won't clearly see Jesus in this world and they'll have all these misrepresentations of what Jesus is like. It's why you have certain gifts that you have. I mean, the scriptures, Apostle Paul writes this in, in the book of Ephesians as well as letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, listen, you've got these gifts and these gifts have been given to you for a purpose. And they're there because our little expression of the church needs your gifts to point people to Jesus and, and show them what it means to be loved like Jesus would love. And when you think about that, you understand, man, there's this incredible opportunity and there's this incredible responsibility that comes with this, with us being the body of Christ in this world. And the body of Christ is not a bunch of rules and regulations that we're slamming on people. It's about loving people the way Jesus loved and serving people the way Jesus served and forgiving people. I mean, it's incredible. See, the responsibility, it's amazing that comes with that, but the opportunity is that God has a purpose for your life. I mean, think about it. God planned from the beginning that he wanted to use you to help others understand who Jesus was. And that is amazingly awesome when you think about it. And he puts you in this church for a purpose, which means this is true. If you're not engaged using your gifts in the church, something is missing from the church. People see Jesus walking through this world with a limp, and, and here's why this is so important. I mean, the parts, all of us together, we make up the whole body of Christ, but you miss a part and you make a whole. 
which means the church misses out and you miss out when you're not fulfilling your part. See, the church misses out on your unique contribution, contribution that you were gifted by God to bring to this movement of believers. And, and you miss out on the unique purpose and the calling that God has created you for. Now, here's the big question. Why would anyone choose not to partner with God to use their gifts? Why would anyone do that? Why, why would anyone choose not to partner with God to show people God's love? And the short answer, really, we've talked about it for the last couple weeks, is there's a little bit of too much of the temple model in all of us. Because, see, the temple model, it's all about consume. Because you show up at your sacred place and you listen to your sacred texts and, and you get baptized by a sacred man so that God will bless you and you, you take communion from a sacred place and a sacred man so that God will be happy with you and you learn about the Bible and make sure God that's pleased with you. And, and here's the thing, all those things are important. They all have their place and they are important. But the reason we do them matters so much. It's not to put us in favor with God. Because see, the Jesus model it's not about you. The Jesus model is about the you beside you. Which means, as part of the body of Christ, we don't just show up to consume. Though, in the Jesus model, you show up and engage. I mean, everything I do, every time I pray, every time I read my Bible, every time I take communion, every time I serve, every time I give, don't miss this. I do all of those things to become more like Jesus. Why do I want to become more like Jesus? So I can engage more and more with Jesus in loving people and pointing them to him. See, see temple model people think this way. They go, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the sacred place, hear the sacred text taught by the sacred man, and I'm going to consume in order to obligate God on my behalf. I don't really need to do anything, just show up in a sacred place, listen to a sacred man, teach a sacred text. But the Jesus model says, no, no, no. I'm so impacted by the way that Jesus loved me that I am compelled to engage with the body of Christ to appropriately reflect who Jesus is to this world, to change this community, and so to change that you beside you. See, love compels us to engage, not just consume. In fact, um, in this same chapter, where he says that you are the body of Christ and each one of you are a necessary part of it, he goes on to write, and you can look at this later, but he goes in and he says that when you don't contribute, when you don't engage, he's like you're an amputated body part. You're like an arm or an eye or a hand or a leg or a foot that's detached. And, and do you know what you call a body part that is detached from the body? It's called gross. It's called useless. It's called dead. That, that's what it is. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, don't be this detached, useless, dead, gross body part. He's saying, no, 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 stay attached, get involved, experience the life-giving blood and fellowship of being part of the body because a useless body part or detached body part is absolutely useless. 
And then he goes on and he says, and by the way, because he goes out of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and he goes into chapter 13. And what do we call that? It's called the what? The love chapter. And he says, and by the way, do this out of love because that's what love requires of you. In fact, here, here's why he says it matters so much. He's saying, basically, if you read on through the chapter, he's going, God's gift in you plus God's love through you changes the you beside you. See, this is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. It means that we come together and together we use our gifts to show God's love so we, people, get this, so that people can experience Jesus up close and personal for themselves. And when we do that well, it always changes the you beside you. So here's the application for today. And I want to say this. Everybody's welcome to engage in this. If you're not a Christ follower, I just want to go ahead and say this is optional for you if you're not a Christ follower. But if you are a Christ follower, if you say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say you love God, then the Apostle Paul would say prove it by the way that you love others, by the way you live focused on others. Because the truth is this, a life centered around love will never miss an opportunity to serve. A life built on a temple model will give you 100 excuses of why they, they can't serve at this point in time in their life. Why they're too busy, why they're too this, why they're too that. But the Apostle Paul goes on to write, the latter part of chapter 12 and the first part and all of chapter 13, says, you know, a life centered around love is never going to miss an opportunity to serve, but a person who's involved in the temple model goes, well, I did my time now. It's time for me to sit back and consume. And I just want to say, man, the church is just an important place for you to stay engaged and to serve because the reality is this. You will never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. And let me just go ahead and say, before you dismiss the depth of this, Make sure you realize something about the difference between the temple model and the Jesus model. See, the Jesus model is far less complicated. It's one command. One command. You go love one another as Christ loved us. It's less complicated to understand. But it's far more demanding to live out. I mean, one simple command, but simple doesn't mean shallow. And simple doesn't mean easy. I mean, think about it. It is far more demanding to live loving everyone the way Christ loved us than it is to live by a few rules and go, I checked that one off, I checked that one off, I checked that one off, I read my Bible, did my God time today, you know, I kept six of the Ten Commandments, you know, that kind of thing. See, in the temple model, you can hide behind your loopholes. You can hide behind your rituals and your rules. You can even justify living your life not forgiving people and holding a grudge and being bitter. You can justify treating people badly. But there are no loopholes when you look at the question and go, what does love require of me? Because love requires you to love the people you like. Love requires you to love the people different than you. Love requires you to love your friends, and love requires you to love your enemies. See, temple model people go, well, can I love them and just not like them? See, there are no loopholes to what loving others like Christ loved us means. And if you continue to read Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus goes on to say, oh, by loving others this way, you love God too. 
Because, see, it's kind of like me. If you really want to show love to me, you show love to my children. So one of the primary ways you show love to God, that you love God, is by loving the people that he loved enough to die for. And that's every person you'll ever lock eyeballs with. So here's our challenge to you if you're a Christ follower. Would some of you start, and some of you you're thinking about checking out because you've done your time or you got too busy in the season of your life. Or, but going into this fall, would you continue to give a little slice of your time to serve people through this church? See, would you use your gifts that God has given you with everyone else to show God's love to people in a very tangible way? Because I'm going to tell you, until you do, something is very much missing from our church, and, and you're missing out on something too. Now, here's the thing. If you're not a Christ follower, you're welcome to join in because you can engage with us without believing like us. And so you do it for whatever reason you want to, I mean, that, but it's optional for you. But for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ, this really isn't optional. Because here's the reality. Love compels you to serve the you beside you. That's what Jesus called us to do. He, he, he washed his disciples' feet, the ten that were, going to de, that were going to abandon him, the one that was going to deny him, the one that was going to betray him. He washed their feet, and then he gets up and goes, oh, and by the way, you need to do exactly for everybody else exactly what I'm doing for you. So today when you walked in, inside your worship guide on all of our campuses, go ahead on every campus, open your worship guide, there's a little card in there that looks something like this. Pull it out. Now there's a side. Everyone, please do this. See, some of you are such consumers that you don't even take the effort to open up a, a book, a little piece of paper and look at something. It's like, it's like no, just feed me here. I'll just listen. Pull it out, okay? There's a side that says environments. It looks something like this, and it lists all different, some different environments that we create. This is just some of the environments that we create. Some for preschool, some for uh, elementary age, some for middle school, high school, and then we have adult environments, those kind of things. And on the other side of the card... There are roles, and those of you that are over 50, you're having a hard time reading this. I told our people that printed this, that. I was like, listen, some of us over 50, we're going to have a hard time reading this. But here's what we're saying. In every area, look on the screen here. In every area of every, whatever age and stage of ministry is, there are four different things, ministry roles that you can do. In every one. Some of you, you like to help guests feel welcome. Others of you, you like production technology, those kind of things. Other of you, you, you like to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ through helping people understand Scripture better. That's what groups do. And then there's always in men's side. Now, here's what we want you to do. We want you to tell every person, whether you're serving or not, Go ahead and fill your name out on this card. Go ahead and do that right now. Everybody put your name in. Write your email address, your phone number. If you prefer to be text instead of email, text that, put text out beside the phone. And then where it says roll here on the bottom of this card, say, I'm interested in preschool kids, elementary age, middle school, high school. I'm interested in young adults, middle-aged adults. And then also, I would love to help with guests feel welcome. That would be hosting, technology, groups, whether, you know, whatever, whichever one of these roles. Just, and if you don't know, if you don't know, just write that down. I don't know. And we'll have someone kind of talk to you about this. In fact, our, our, our pastors are going to come out on our campuses in just a moment, and they're going to tell you how, how you can have like a quick 10-minute conversation with them um, right after the service if you, have, if you have any questions about it. I would love for you to engage in this conversation. And uh, if you already are serving... Just write, already serving. I'm already serving right where you're serving. And in just a moment, when the offering buckets come around, you can drop this card in the offering bucket along with that Connect card. Now, here's why this is so important for us. Don't miss this. 
As we move into the fall season, we have a lot of opportunities for those of you who have not been serving here, who have disengaged in serving here, to be engaged. Because on all of our campuses, we have, listen, we have a lot of opportunities in some very critical areas. On our band and production teams, we could use a lot more depth, a whole lot more depth. In guest services teams, that's the teams who, who do a great job of making people feel welcome. On basically every campus, on all five of our campuses, we basically need to double the amount of people in guest services on every campus so that we can, sh- we can serve the people who show up better and, and it can be more helpful to those people. Now, here's the big one. Here's the big one. And this one breaks my heart. That's why I'm having such a serious conversation with you this morning. This one breaks my heart. On every campus, all five campuses, we are stretched to the max with leader to child ratio. Now, I had someone tell me this. Listen, Paul, if you wouldn't keep planting campuses, launching campuses, you guys wouldn't keep doing that, we could have more money to hire more staff so we wouldn't have to be having this conversation. I'm like, are you serious? No, that's not how it works. You are the body of Christ. Because you are the body of Christ, you are the church. What you do, the church does, right? That's not how it works. And, and our, our campuses, they, they fund and take care of themselves. That's not, that's not launching campuses is not our issue. What our camp, doing campus has done is given us incredible opportunities to minister to so many communities. And we have opportunities on all of our campuses for loving our children and our students well by serving them. In fact, as I said, on all of our campuses, we're at the point of our campuses where that leader-to-child ratio is getting so close to capacity. And we are always going to create safe places for your children. And if we start getting, because we always have a spike and a bump in, in the fall, if we get more children... We're going to have to start turning some kids away on some of our campuses. And nobody wants that. Which is why it's so amusing to me when somebody comes up, hey, we should be, can't we be doing more things for the children in our communities, those kind of things? And whenever somebody asks me, can't we do more for the children in our communities? I'm thinking, you're not serving in children's ministry or student ministry, are you? Because they don't get that any given week, and many of you don't see this because all you do is come and sit in rows and look at back of heads on a Sunday On any given week, we're ministering to over 350 children and over 300 students. That's 650 to 700 children and students a week. It is why we are stretched to the max on every campus. Now, hear me out about this. Everybody in our community should have the opportunity to come to church that makes it easy for them to turn to God. But I'm going to tell you something. For that to continue to happen, you got to engage. you just got to engage. See, if you're a Christ follower, we can't afford for you to be this temple model person who comes and sits in rows and consumes and goes, well, I did my time, or, you know, I'm too busy here. Or, you know, our church is going to miss the opportunity to point to people to Jesus if you're not engaged. That's just reality. People are going to miss the opportunity to experience the love and acceptance and the grace of Jesus because we weren't able to serve them or serve them as well as we could. So this weekend, this weekend, on all of our campuses, we need 250 to 300 of you young adults and students to sign up and serve. And by the way, 250 to 300, that's only 10% of the adults and students that attend our campuses. So that's not even a huge number. Honestly, we'd love to have about 500 stand uh, uh, Sign up to serve. But here, think about this. On our five campuses alone, our, our five campuses, we need 160 roles to be filled. 
before we get into the fall season in children's ministry if we're going to serve and love them well. Otherwise, this fall, and it's the first time I've had to say this in 25 years, because we as Americans have become such consumers, we will have to start turning children away in the fall if the numbers get too much. Because, and it's not because, it's not because children are the problem, it's because we've got too many Christians who want to come and sit in rows and look at back of heads. That's the problem. And then they want to tell us, the staff, you should be doing more for the children in the community. So for us to continue to create excellent environments, to love our communities, to continue to reach more people for Jesus Christ, we need at least 250 of you to take this step. Because whenever God's gift in you, plus God's love through you, you start serving with everybody, I'm going to tell you, it will change the you beside you, but I'm going to tell you even more than that, it will change you. It's going to help you grow as a person, your faith. I mean, it's going to grow in a powerful way, ways that you don't understand. It's going to make your faith stronger. God will be more personal to you, and, and you will be part of this whole movement that Jesus began to change the world. So here's the thing. If you've been sitting around going, I would serve if they just would invite me, here's your invitation. Now, if you've been writing saying, well, I'd serve if they needed me, you're needed. You know, here's the thing. On one of our, yeah, <clears throat> let's give you an example. On one of our campuses, we had like, the other Sunday, we had like 180 kids, and, and I was having lunch with a guy who doesn't serve in family ministry. He's always telling me, you ought to do more for the community. I was like, you understand, we had 180 children between babies and fifth grade on this campus, on the certain campus this week. And he goes, really? I said, well, how many did you think? He said, oh, I thought I probably had 25, 30 kids showing up. I'm like, are you serious? You need to get out of the row. And get a servant. That's right. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. Listen, folks. If we want to continue to be effective moving forward, we have to choose to love the way Jesus loved. We have to choose to serve the way Jesus served. And so for the sake of somebody's eternity, and if i got to use the kid and student card, Okay, for the sake of some kid and some student's eternity, please quit consuming and start engaging. I mean, God has given our churches very unique opportunities to influence our community. And let's not waste it. Let's do this together. I mean, after all, that's what love requires, doesn't it? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking your forgiveness for not loving others the way that you loved us. I think it's our greatest sin toward you. And I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit will come and speak into the hearts of men and women and even students. Because as we have this incredible opportunity in so many of our communities to even reach more children, more students, more adults, but the only limiting thing is Christ followers. who are not willing to get out of the seat, who are saying in this season of life, well, I'm just too busy. I got too much time. I got too much to do to love other people well. God, I, I just can't imagine what that feels like to your heart. So I just pray that today your Holy Spirit will convict us to the core and help us to love and make the decision that we're going to be a people who love like you love. God, it's easy to do church every seven days. It's easy to keep a few rules and regulations and maybe do our God time, pray a little bit each day. But God, to love 24-7 like you loved, 
Well, that's far more demanding. And we need the help of your Holy Spirit. So help us to lean in the love. In Jesus' name, amen.